Welcome everybody to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan Stevens, again here with Kai, and we're going to jump into another uh, uh, show with a guest on here, going to go through some good questions. Kai, I'll let you kind of expand on that. Um, I mean, first and foremost, uh, thanks for coming on, Mark. Uh, okay. We appreciate you for waiting, and it's been a good couple weeks since we talked about you coming on. Yeah. It's been really... Uh, We've been swamped, man. That's that's the hundred percent the truth. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. we're glad you're able to to make the time. And I know there's a slight time difference, and and you know interrupting dinner. But thanks for uh, coming on and everything like that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, to to introduce everything in the the this current podcast, um, it's going to be one of everybody's favorite, which is uh, Varanus Melanus or the Quincy Monitor, um, probably uh, high demand and color and temperament and typical behavior of this species uh, i myself used to have a couple as well so um they're actually probably one of my my second or third introduction into actually keeping franis franis indicus complex so um i myself uh, am a i'm a big fan of them i just i just don't have them you know <laughs> yeah you can't look vicariously yeah. through other people but um yeah before you know, we get. I, I go on any further. Um, feel free to um, ask any questions that you think may uh, may help okay. you out with as far as your projects go. Um, okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt you real quick, but um, to kind of place in context context what what he's got going on. He's got two adult or sub adult melanists now, and we're yeah. really just trying to gather everything right your behavior what's what and all that right i've got i've got a a three-year-old um which i call the male uh just because um that's what i guess that it is <laughs> and i've got um uh a one-year-old which i call the female uh, or one and a maybe um, a little bit older than that maybe one and a half but um so the reason i I call them the male and the female is because um, the female is um, went through pretty much a textbook example of what the croc doc says is will happen with the telegenesis. So um, like it was hanging on the side uh, of the enclosure, like hanging up on the wall for about a a week or more, maybe week and a half, two weeks, and um, uh, not eating, which is very unusual for this animal. Yeah. And um, uh, abdominal swelling as well. And um, it just seemed like that, that that's exactly what was happening. Um, the reason I call the male the male is because of the um, extreme um, excitement and aggression that um, he has towards the other one, towards the female. So the, um, they're, they, um, I have these two, I have a room in the basement that I made that's built like a thermos. So it's, um, it's very well insulated. And on either side of the, uh, of the room are, are the enclosures. And the enclosures are um, like eight feet uh, tall, um, seven feet wide and about uh, six feet deep. So the size of small bathrooms. Wow. And then there's a, uh, 
a main uh, a main area, a main room in the in the middle, which is bigger. Um, that um, I, is the like the neutral zone for the two of them, where they they come out, um, but they haven't come out. I haven't had them out together yet. Um, the reason I haven't had them out together is because there's a big size difference still, and because the the one that I call the male is acts super aggressive towards the other one i sent you a little clip there of how uh he reacts um, yeah. between i'm this. actually looking looking while you're talking i'm looking back at the uh the I pictures and videos you yeah I, I guess okay so i uh, my uh, not to assume your situation here or your questions but um, would you be now just trying to figure out what you want to do next no i'm I, i'm just Right now, I, I, I do want to introduce them together. Um, yeah. I'll wait until they're the same size. Or, okay, so here I, I want to just uh, kind of stop you just before um, you go any further with uh, the size stuff, okay? Um, so right now, right, he's all through the video. He's essentially trying to get through to the other side to her, right? Right. And, right. Yeah. But very aggressively, um, scratching at the. Um, that's at the, that's that's very typical, right? And although they should be typical for a male, or? a little bit. What it is is, it's very. You're, even though what we want is looking to be perfect, right? As far as going and entering the breeding aspect, you actually will have to go through pecking order and actual fighting and duking it out prior to all of the other stuff with Brandis Indicus stuff. Now, when Croc Dog talks about his situation, it is relatable to many monitors, and the introduction part may be as easy where they are easily compatible or it hooks up right away. But what you're going through now, if you do this later on, you may end up with more problems because it's going to take a lot longer for them to be situated. Okay. So what I would recommend you do now is essentially bite that bullet and then introduce them, but be there in your mutual zone, right? Use a broomstick and, or something along the lines of a, a lid or a bin or something that you can reach in without getting bit to separate them or yeah. have another person around. But you will essentially need that duking part or the whole setting a dominance thing, or even for them to just touch each other. That will need to be dealt with and sorted out first. Yeah. So go ahead and be there. And then whenever you're done, leave, you know, lock the male back up, lock the female back up, and then get to a central their normal setups again and then when you're around try to do that whole mutual zoning that's what i that's what i call it and that's what i used to do a lot at first but now i just have them in the in, a, in an enclosure where they're separated now i don't want you to have them fighting and just let them fight you're gonna yeah. be separating but when you're looking at dominance and you're looking at breeding and then you're looking at aggressive behavior it's all a little bit different, and you know, sometimes the dominance is it can, it can happen between the the male, the female locking onto the male, where she's dominating him, 
And that's really just dominance and mounting and claiming the other one, setting a pecking order. You know, and then there's really aggressive stuff where one is just trying to kill the other. If yeah. you're noticing that behavior, stop it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the actual duking re- involves a little bit of biting and a little bit of nipping and scratching up or mounting and pinning mm-hmm. down. Not as aggressively as iguanas or chameleons where they're gripping onto the other one. It's actual maiming and biting that you that you want to not have happen. So you can yeah. remove that part. Now, um, I want you to, you know, kind of take it as where you know, scared money doesn't make any money at this point. You know, if you're going to be um, worried about these situations, I would recommend you try to get them done now. Kind of yeah. get into the point of understanding your female's behavior and all that stuff like that. A lot yeah. of times they're not compatible regardless of what we try to do. Okay. So even if we, we go through all of this and all of a sudden your male's just a, he's just never going to hook up and he'll never get it because he's just too aggressive. And this is because he's been, they've been raised alone uh-huh. and the raising alone part kind of sets them back a little bit when you want to, if you have to introduce them to another animal later on, and they okay. essentially don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. So, so for example, I have animals that are wild caught and came to me, and they were at adolescence, basically. So, you know, they're insecure sub adults, so they're not exactly that dominant size or age or mindset yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they are kind of aggressive towards each other. And then now that I've introduced them multiple times back and forth over the last year or two. I'm now having them breed and it's taken me quite this long because they'll bite each other. I let them heal. Um, you know, they'll maim each other. I'll let them heal. I introduce them. It doesn't go right or just something like that. And also I'm not trying. I'm only trying when I, I think they're going into season or as the weather is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously just not introducing at any time. I, I kind of want to pinpoint it. Now the window to really breed Indicus is very small. Not just the season. The season can be quite long, and they'll go and go and go. But the actual time for breeding can be only a window of a few days. Yeah. Um, and that's when she's you know really receptive and all that stuff like that where it's really going to hook up for you. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, you, know, you, want, you want to right now get into the point where you're okay. You're going to release the male into there or have the male comfortable and you put down the female. Okay, and we kind of talked this over with uh, our friend Jake from uh, from Nerd, and mm-hmm. he was telling us that the initial, and I, I kind of picked this up myself, your initial five minutes or your initial few seconds there even will kind of determine how it's going to go. Yeah. If they are really, really bad with the whole apprehensive and they're showing many threat displays, um, you want to be more cautious while you put them down. Sometimes they have all those cautious, I, I like, um, I would say, behaviors, but they have these like little little clicks with them, right? Where they where they actually just they start responding, and and then all of a sudden they'll tongue flick each other, taste each other, and really either go about their way, fight, or kind of start to one will mount the other, and then they'll you'll see either receptiveness or fighting. You kind of want to do that. Allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they are primarily pets. 
and I'm not that concerned about breeding. I'd like to try to breed, right. um, but so, it's not it's not really something that that I don't know if I would even like. I'd be nervous about selling the babies because I don't know if I could even find people who are qualified to care for them. Yeah, not, it's not like like I'm, I'm in Canada, and it's not like you guys have a lot more people who are into it and a lot more population there. So here, the population is it's not you know that, that right. much. I think we've got in our country, we've got as much as you have in your state. That is a fact. Yeah. You're pretty much exactly, it, your state is the same as our country. <laughs> like it, even if you're not trying to breed, right, you want to basically tie down on your female's biology. Just so. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 exactly. Because I don't want to take a chance of, of losing an animal over not right. knowing that it's gravid. Yeah. So when it went up and it did those positions and it kind of gave you those signs, right? Did it did it end up laying after that and dropping no. eggs? No, right? No, no. It just went back I, to normal, started eating again. Yeah, but I had a um, I had a, a a laying bin and it dug, but but they they all they both dig like they both enjoy digging. Is and, your uh, um, nest bin heated? It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. So yeah. you're. I would say you are right on right on the right on the money now with uh, what you need to do space and all that stuff like that i don't think um other than getting them to hook up is going to be just your hard hard part and it may be a thing where when she's not receptive he's going to be too overpowering right yeah or it may be a thing where he's now just going to be added when you think she's going through that cycle period and then it's good other than that they live separately um, mm-hmm. and then that's your small window to try to do this. So, um, I, so I would, I would put them together. If I have two males, what do you think is going to happen? Like, um, it can go a few different ways. Um, I've, I've actually seen some males not, not be too bad, um, or it can be the worst and they'll kill each other. Yeah. 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 It's, it really just depends. And again, I wouldn't throw a monitor into another monitor's cage without standing around there. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's something that I have to do myself. I just, you know, throw on the gloves. I have antibiotics around for wounds and bites. And I have uh, things that I, you know, apply to, to wounds. So that way they don't, they don't get infected or anything like that. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll, you'll need to brace yourself for all that other stuff, even going to the vet. If, Let's say there's a really major laceration or something like that that you obviously just can't fix with super glue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, something something to think about because they, you know, right now you have a partition, and that's saving your female from any, you know, any major danger. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a tough one. So you know, kind of see that your male is somewhat showing a really eager behavior, right? Um, so, it's not exactly m- mean just yet, and it could be just where he nips her a couple times. She kind of knows her place, and um, you know you'll be able to judge and see how they are further. Um, that's that's going to be really your day to day game is see how see how they just do over time. You know. So you so you think that's male behavior then? Your. it's it's called that that behavior you're that that really eager look trying to get through the mesh right yeah that is that is behavior with males and females it's not just okay maybe just because it's smaller 
And the other one, the other one just sort of is cautious and like the one I call female. Right. Is- yeah. So you're what you're what I'm looking at, your body shapes, the how you're describing them. Um you're describing subadult melanist to me. That that's and okay. they look like a pair just from their shapes and everything like that. Um your female is a lot more daintier, narrower, kind of shorter, smaller build, pretty yeah. streamlined. And your male, even though it is streamlined, he's got slightly bigger arms, a bigger head, right? He's got bigger back. Um, yeah. yeah, so your female too as well, she may have gone through some of those motions, but I, I really don't think most of the Indicus complex, they don't mature until they're about three to five years old. Not okay. to say that they won't do stuff when they're one or two. It's just they have better eggs and they seem to go about it better when they're a little older. Okay. Um, so, you know, you have some fielding out to do, obviously, because yeah. you said it's only roughly a good year or so old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I took um, I, when the when he stopped eating or when, when she stopped eating, I, uh, I took uh, her to the vet and had um, uh, asked for a um, – an x-ray to see if it could uh, determine, you know, what the sex was and such. But he said it was too, too, it's a, it's a reptile specialist vet too. He said it was too young to, uh, to tell, but he did do uh, an ultrasound and he said he found um, two testes, what he thought was two testes. So yeah. Is this I, in the, the supposed female? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the one that went through the motions of the vitelogenesis. So uh, that just left me even more confused. So that hanging behavior too is also done by males. It's, I mean, the hanging behavior is hanging behavior. It's really just so they can hang. But you're, you, yeah. you notice the females also distend their bellies. But a fat male or chubby male will also do the same thing, and gravity will pull his belly down, and it'll yeah. look like a pouch down there. So yeah. um, let's just say. If we're wrong, what we're looking at is a male trying to attack another male. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's very possible um, that there could have been something going on inside the room that was causing the animals to behave different or act different um, and giving off whatever signals they give off so that one male is still, even from across the room, sending off those signs of dominance yeah. Um, towards the other animal, which the digging behavior you could have seen. This is this is all speculation, of course. But the digging behavior you could have seen uh, could have been that that younger male, let's say, trying to just find a secure place to get away, to hide. Um, can they see each other? The way the cages are set up, can they see each other? No. Yeah. Yes, but not easily. They're quite far apart. So, but okay. they they're they, still they, this, I t- everything's I take them in the out visual, for exercise. Yeah, I take yeah. them out for exercise, and they and they are able to see each other then, and yeah. get quite close. That's good that they're not strangers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just now they have their their own quarters that they've claimed and they smell. Yeah. What what you can do? So, oh, sorry, Alan. Before I go on to this pretty long one, you you got anything that you wanted to add on before I, I went on? Oh, I'm just thinking about uh, just because of the information from the vet and who is, as you said, a reptile specialist saying that there was hemipenes. Um, no, no, but, um, testic testes, testes, testes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so test. Okay. We just want to uh, differ, 
I guess, differentiate between the two. So what were, Mark, what are you mentioning as testes? Well, he, he saw that there was two little shadows, symmetrical um, shadows. In the tail on, base, right? No, no, on the, uh, under the liver. Okay. Oh. Up um, under the liver. And he said that, the, that, that, that to him that looked like testes. But the tail base, he wasn't able to determine anything. We're, we're, and the word testes, were we use that here as testicles? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, testicles, yeah. And then Alan, I'm just remembering right, all the sexual organs are within the tail base? As far as I know, they're, yeah, they're not going to be necessarily under the well, liver. Hemipenises uh, are in the tail base. Um, and then... For the female, I know obviously the organs are are more inside as far as what she uses to develop. I apologize, Mark. I'm not really unfamiliar on what you, we're we're trying to differentiate yeah. for your males or yeah. um, what's down there. But uh, yeah, go ahead, keep going. Sorry. Okay. So, anyways, yeah. So he saw those two shadows, and and you know it very well could be two eggs, but uh -huh. I, I would think I would think that if there was and a monitor there would be more than two even if it was a young animal that would be more than than two yeah. the, the, whole com the whole complex sometimes from the very beginning it's only two to three eggs yes yeah they, they, oh, they lay very, very small clutches yeah. okay. um my even mine two to three is is typical um especially when they start off don't get don't get me wrong i've had them lay as many as eight to ten but um those are, you know, much more primed females in their like five year old range, r roughly. Um, but yeah, it can happen. Um, I would, you know, I would definitely bank on the the if the vet saw two um, round items in the in the monitor lizard that uh, they interpreted to be testes. And I don't mean to go above my own pay grade with this, but I would. Um, Lean to the fact of those being something else rather than testes. Yeah. Um, just from what I know, you know, looking at monitor basically biology, um, it would make more sense that those would be some type of uh, ovaries, something along the. Well, I can't say male or female necessarily, but something else other than testes would is what would make sense to me. And yeah. um, by any chance, do you have that? uh x-ray with you is that something I, that you could i do but it's it's useless it's, it's okay <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's it's just it's just a a blob like you can barely make anything out yeah really right. it's, it's just terrible like don't get me I wrong mean, I, I, I have a wasn't confident either yeah i have an ultrasound myself and i've been working with it um, oh, okay and uh don't get me wrong i, I can't see anything yeah <laughs> yeah I, so, I really can't make out much at all um yeah for what it's worth i have uh, a lot of friends, uh, people that have been over to see the collection, and they've said without a doubt that an animal is this sex or another sex and been completely off. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, so and even with me, that's I, I, until I see eggs, I usually never say one way or the other. Yeah. And um, until I know that a male was in there and, and fertilized those eggs, then I still don't say one way or another. Uh, there's yeah. some some animals where it is just so clear um, that, of course, I will you know say okay, this is a male or this is a female. 
Um, <clears throat> for example, Aki's still throw me off at certain ages to the point where I just, I don't make any guarantees on any of, uh, you know, um, babies up into almost sub adults. Um, and even then I give people the disclaimer, you know, like, uh, this is, this is my best guess on this. And now as I'm going into working with, uh, Dory Anus and trying to familiarize myself with pictures from Kai's animals of, uh, his Indicus, other known animals that are out there, um, trying to really pick up on those little subtle differences in either the skulls, the, the head structure, tail base, overall body size. Um, it's going to be another difficult one, I can tell. And, yeah. you know, like sand monitors, they're super easy to, as sub-adults and then into adults, they seem very easy to tell which one's going to be. Yeah. In person, let me, let me clarify, in person they seem very easy to tell which is yeah uh, but not on a picture yeah yeah it's it's sometimes it's that overall um behavior mixed with i want to say the way they move i don't necessarily know how to pick that apart further but uh they they seem to move in a certain way differently the way they'll maybe the shape of their neck and their head when they're moving or turning around to look at you um you know, you get familiar with those animals and you can just kind of pick up on these things. But man, pictures are so hard. I would almost rather people send videos when they're asking for advice or help on the sex of their animals to yeah. send like a legit 30 second clip of slowly going over the animal. And uh, because I have, um, yeah, I have a quite a few that I could post that I'm pretty sure would just of, of all different species that would throw people um, on what sex they are if they were just a still photo. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was beating that up. Kai, you were going to go into a... Uh... Oh, I mean, uh, going back to what we started off initially talking about, I just don't want you to throw your melanin into the, the fire, you know. there are, There's going to be a couple of things I wanted to go over with you and that may help you out. Um, and they're going to be a little bit tedious, but... It's basically all the small steps prior to give you a little bit more reassurance, okay? okay. So a male into his new enclosure, he's typically when he's uh, well of age or well endowed or ready to go, right? In a new enclosure, he's going to rub his tail base and scent mark everywhere. Right oh, away. really? Okay. Right well. away. So if you want to swap them, put them yeah. into each other's enclosures and see what they do. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, they're gonna be safe, but they'll be within each other's smells. Mm -hmm. Another tedious thing that you can do is to grab the fecal matter, and while they're in their their in their own enclosures, you're gonna swap fecal matter. Okay? Yeah. You can swap cage furniture as well. You can do it other than that, but nothing is more pungent than someone else's. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. It's basically gonna be right there right in the open and you can switch furnitures as well uh -huh. um, but do that back and forth for a while maybe yeah. get get essentially what it is is it's breaking the ice even further because they still haven't really contacted each other yet right yeah. well, essentially this one now we sort of in in the other one's mix and essentially getting a, a feel of the other one without it even being there to defend mm -hmm. itself or anything like that okay uh -huh. Um, so you can do things like that. And then again, in the mutual zone, when you get up to it and you want to actually put down your female, 
you know, maybe have your son or someone else around and then have what I would use is I, cause I don't have crazy tools that are going to help me. I literally just use a broomstick and I use the, the, the bushy, the, the, the bristle part to separate them if I need to. Right. And it's soft enough for me to hit them without hurting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm essentially flinging the other one away. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and then I also have large, all I'm doing is just taking my four foot tubs and taking the lid and sliding it in between them. If one charges the other one, mm-hmm. that's all I'm doing. you yeah. you may get bit as well because your hands are going to be in the way. It's kind of like picture you separating a dog fight, you know, you can, you're in the way. So, yeah. um, you know, just, just brace yourself for all that stuff too. But those few things, those little tedious things there can really help you break the ice. It's what I've learned as well with mine. Um, they're super responsive. Now, if you want to put your mail into her setup, right, and let's say we're trying to for sure gather the definite sex of your bigger one and the definite sex of your smaller one, your mail a lot of times will also flash his stuff as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's it's typical. So mm-hmm. if you can catch the flash, or I'm sorry, this this is gonna it, it's the context is gonna confuse people. But if you can um, catch him everting his hemi peens you can take a picture and basically send it to us or you know but it looks like a it'll look like this okay it'll look like an alien probe yeah <laughs> i've, se- I've it, seen it before it be purple yeah, yeah. You, so I've you seen have it on, seen it I, I've, no no I've, I've seen it on the savannah i had the savannah many years ago yeah. yeah and it was it was it was just pretty much like an alien yeah it right was, it and was, so the, the females <laughs> would have the same thing but it'll just look just like this though yeah so it's not gonna have all the probes it'll just look like this and it'll yeah. be it'll look there and just hand my like hand a little worm curves. yeah just like yeah. a little worm but it'll still come out so it, yeah. it, it definitely can confuse people because yeah on a three-foot lizard it'll come out a good an inch or so you know right um and so uh, yeah you want to but, I want to make sure so, that you're not confusing you know the difference um yeah so yeah. one thing i one thing i did was i put uh, a video camera on uh where he uh, poops the most and uh filmed him pooping about you know 20 30 times and watched <laughs> it every time yeah anyway so i uh I, he did uh pop out exactly what you described for the female those okay. little tiny yeah worm like <laughs> things that and and not anything like the uh like the big alien there right and it's controlled their muscles are controllable there really really well so if he wanted to he can only show you a third of it yeah he can show you all of it yeah so let's say if you know we're assuming your little one is a girl just because it only showed you a small bit too right it could be a male only showing you half so yeah. we don't want to just assume that yeah. just yet until you got a picture and they're small little tubicles and we know it's fully out. Yeah. Um, the male will just be outright purple, pink, yeah. crazy looking like, yeah, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I also uh, kind of took it to the next level with, um, with uh, trying to get them used to each other. I uh, took a rubber lizard. Oh, yeah, and, I saw that. A rubber monitor lizard, yeah, and I smeared it with the poop of the other lizard, okay. and um, put on a little puppet show for him, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it, he 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 reacted to it uh, 
somewhat like realistically. Um, but um, when I uh, when I did that, but when I when he was clutching at the um, at the cage of the other one through the mesh, I took it and I plunged it into his face and it made it like like the other one had just suddenly burst through. He really reacted and really did fool him, and he really did think he was facing the other another monitor, and he started biting it. Okay. Yeah, and um, it's it's an interesting model. This this rubber lizard you might you may have seen it, but it's 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 quite old. But it's actually a cast of a dead monitor. Yeah, it looks like, like it. it. really looks yeah. like a, it's uh, just uh, someone's taxidermy. Yeah, you can see yeah. the cloatia and and you can see the every scale and oh wow and it uh, yeah and I think it's a uh, I think it says a guess I think it's a bangle. Okay. Oh, yeah. hold on, Mark. We we'd like to introduce Kai's cat on this episode. Okay. There's a. <laughs> okay. There's a bell. Yeah. 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 Doesn't sorry. always make an appearance, but it's here today. So. Uh, yeah. Just but. A cat. Uh, does your cat meet your lizards ever? You know what? She tells me when they're laying and she stands in front of the incubator when they're hatching. Really? Ha! You know hey, that? Yeah. I would take that. There's <laughs> yeah, a monitor keeper. Um, you know, uh, she's she knows that like uh, I adore everything, right? Even the grasshoppers. She won't kill them. She'll just stand there and be like, yo, it's over here. Come and get it. <laughs> nice. <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Um, when I first uh, realized uh, she's how good she is, right? I would uh, see my monitors digging, and she'd be on the only time she's in the room, and she just mm. sit there, just me and I was like over and over and over. She's like, yeah. And um, and uh, the next day, man, I get eggs. It's probably happened a good dozen times now. Really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah awesome. She just uh, she hovers when they're doing stuff. I don't know. It's like animal intuition or something, you know. Yeah. I might have to get a shop cat. That's, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> this cat is, uh, and she's not like, you know, most cats are like up and everywhere on the cages. This has, this cat is pretty, uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Sorry, good, man. Good. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to bombard your, uh, yeah, our uh, podcast. I, I, actually, I actually introduced my, uh, my nail monitor to, uh, my tortoise, yeah, uh, the other day. And, um, that was, uh, interesting because, the monitor walked up, sniffed it, and realized that it's irrelevant huh. in, in seconds. And yeah. just like, it's like he'd seen one before, or smelled one before, and knew what it was, and just went, "You don't matter," and went right. about his business. Yeah. And the tortoise proceeded to follow him around the cage <laughs> and be, be quite curious. But that is fun to see. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but, yeah, I've seen that same thing. Monitors, they – are you a danger to me? Can I eat you? Yeah. And if it's not one of those things, there's a lot of times where you're not important. You yeah, might as well be a right. rock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You can see, you can sort of see how their mind works. I really like to experiment with um, trying to um, – um, for enrichment and also just to see – to try and figure out how their minds work. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're they're definitely different you know come coming to everything they're definitely a lot smarter and uh you know if we just let them do stuff and yeah. with some trust right they, yeah. they can definitely surprise us a bit yeah uh, your cat is angry <laughs> yeah. she's hungry man 
one thing I noticed um, that um, in regards to um, to taming is that um, that when um, my monitors, I got them to a certain point of tameness that um, actually um, play fighting with them, like sort of tussling them and tossing them around a little bit, yeah, really uh, tends like to, uh, yeah, they like that. Yeah, because I think that the monitor can understand a lot easier the concept of you can't hurt me rather than you won't hurt me. Yeah. So by sort of attacking them a little bit and roughing them up a little, they they go, ah, this guy's like, he's no big deal. I can handle him. And um, and it's not like it's not so scary for them. Yes. It's kind of counterintuitive. And, and when the animal's still a little wild, that, you know, you definitely don't want to do that. But but at yeah. this stage, I think it really helps. Some of my guys, I literally have to hold them in a headlock. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah. Cause they're so bold. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, <laughs> I've had to use my, my foot to like, get out of here. They keep coming at me, you know, not, not yeah. in a defensive way or even an aggressive way. More yeah. like, what do you yeah. got? What are you doing? What do you have? Yeah. For me? Yeah. And, uh, I got to toss yeah. them across the cage. <laughs> Mine go right for my head and, and scratch my, my scalp up. <laughs> Oh, I'm in for it with these Dorianus. I think uh, once they start getting used to me like that, and because I I was made a uh, joke to one of the, the posts that Kai put out recently. I think you had something get out uh, in the last day or two, or maybe last week. And yeah, something yeah. I've noticed when I've had animals get out is uh, there's animals that will stay down towards the ground, and then there's the animals that want to go up. And uh, Dorianus have taught me very quickly that they want to go up. So now the last time when one got out and I had to learn how they're, they're smart, they're incredibly smart. Um, other cages that I have had animals in that I've had no problem with whatsoever. I would think I put a larger animal in one of the, the Dorianus, which is a larger animal than what was in there. There shouldn't be any way for this animal to get out. And they've taught me different. So uh, my cage design has improved a bit, or my security measures have improved a bit. But uh, each time they went up, and um, it's kind of what interesting is, behavior to see. What is Dorianus? The blue tail monitor. Blue tail. Okay. Yeah. Are those some um, those blue tails? Are they the ones with like the really massive teeth? Yeah. Like they have yes. very small, very large. Monitor. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy on YouTube who's got one that's just unbelievably, it's not friendly or anything, but it's the teeth on it are just out of this world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been bitten by a sub-adult. No, not fun. I met, yeah. I literally was crying trying to get it off my finger. Really? Yeah, it's like one of those things where, get off, get off, get off. Yeah. Just, and it so just where, uh, kept on biting even more. Yeah. <laughs> where are they from? Huh? Uh, they're the they're from Indo. They're from uh, Indonesia as well. Yeah. Okay. Now, where exactly? Good luck. I'm, I have some very basic information that I'm finding. Um, but from what I've noticed, there's quite a few different looks and types that are coming in. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, who's to say exactly 
where they're coming from or which locale, or even if they are the same uh, across the board, if they're going to be the same species in the future, or maybe, you know, subspecies, uh, maybe full species. The same thing with like Kai's Indicus, I would guess. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, and we're only at the beginning of some yeah. of these. Even melanists, you know, they come in yeah. a few different color tones. Uh, they don't always look the same. Some are brighter, some aren't as bright, and there's quite a few little pockets that where they come from. So it's it's not mm -hmm. just yeah one yeah. area. These ones sure look like they're from uh, the same place because they're just That's dead nice. ringers for each yeah, other. Yeah. Like, I get them good. confused sometimes when I've got them out. I the other day I had one one out and the I looked over and said, Oh my god, the, the cage is open. Then I realized, oh no, that's the cage of the one that's out. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't even know which was which. But uh, yeah, now, they're close in size. Um the now the other one is a lot smaller. Uh you said it was what a good year and a half-ish now? Yeah, I actually did a calculation. Um I took a weighed them uh three months apart and yeah. uh I figured out that um, that one in the three months, one had grown five uh, percent, and the other had grown twenty eight percent. That's the male. The male that grew twenty eight percent, right? No, the female, oh, which wow. is the younger, the younger animal. Yeah. So she caught up a lot. Yeah, she's catching up. So he better smarten up because I think there's it's, the odds are that I'm not too good at math, but I think it's pretty obvious that pretty soon they're they're going to be pretty close to each other. Yeah. 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 Well, man, I hope you have, uh, you know, um, the next step from here would be introduction and, and have that become successful enough for you to, mm -hmm. to get your eggs. Sometimes all it takes is having the male around and then them doing their own little courting and you feeding them. It, yeah. It, that could be all it takes, but it can be a little bit um, more effort when you want to, and you're not getting any eggs and you have to kind of um, set them apart with uh, different temperatures and feeding and stuff like that. So, um, you know, if you ever get into that and you want to message me or we can have another podcast where we get into that as well. Um, right now, it's really just I don't want to bombard you with too much information on the other stuff unless you do want to get into that. We can. But, you know, right now it could be just just your introductions and how to how to go from there, because. You yeah. don't want to jump the gun and try to worry about something else, even though you yeah. should be preparing yourself. Right yeah. now, it'd be just to get get this ball going, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it can happen as fast as this pressure dropping. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we get a lot more rain. Where you're from now, you get a lot of rain, um, yeah. so you know you might be able to use that into your advantage, up the humidity a lot, and then maybe try to feed her much more along with a lot more calcium ratio than than what you have been before just mm -hmm. to carry the eggs and herself um and see if that would trigger something you know um sometimes let's say they do go through the process and there are a few things that essentially aren't clicking for them and they either reabsorb or the eggs don't end up good for some reason you know um mm -hmm. it can be a something that's as simple as being overly heat stress or, you know, um, just uh, inadequate food. Um, yeah. The eggs come out poorly, things like that. Yeah. Um, would yeah, you say so. that, um, would you say that food response is higher in males or higher in females or is it just uh, irrelevant? It can, I, yeah, it's a little bit of both. 
So, I would say irrelevant. It's just I would say yeah. it's more along the lines of your animal rather yeah. than um, that that individual animal rather than a yeah. based on their sex. Um, right. Because I have some males that are still shy. I, I guess more gentle in their feeding response. Uh, and then I have a female, and this is across the board with different species, but I have a female that just comes like a missile, you know, launches herself. And mm -hmm. wherever she lands is not a worry of hers. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, mm -hmm. I think it just depends on the, the individuals more so I have the than same, anything the else. same thing. So I have, um, like, let's say one of my koi, my, their Varanus coli. So they're a different type of um, mangrove monitor. They're in the same complex. And um, they eat typically pretty well. But when the girls are going into their the cycling part and they, they're looking to eat a bunch, they hit the tongs a lot harder. Like mm -hmm. it, it'll be night and day between how they eat almost. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're essentially, bam, right at the cage you know, first one up when they're typically not, I usually take that as a sign as, all right, you know what you want. I'm going to give it to you. Um, and so then I'll run with, I'll run with that and I'll, I'll feed them a fair amount compared, comparably much more than what I do already. I keep them quite lean throughout the year. So mm -hmm. several months, even it is just maintenance feed, just to feed enough, nothing to overdo it. And then when I think the, the pressure, the weather is changing, or them themselves kind of start hitting the tongs a lot more. Like they'll physically just bite onto the tongs because they're so eager to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I take that as a sign. Um, speaking of tongs, I, um, I had some ideas I wanted to share with people about feeding. Um, I use um, a different kind of tong that I sent, I sent you a picture of. It's oh, um. Man. Yeah, that's, they're actually called um, alligator clamps. And it's a surgical instrument that you can get on Amazon. And it's um, the profile is very small, so that it's very, very tiny. And it's also very powerful, like the, the, the leverage that is very strong on them. And I modify them just slightly so that I, they can fit in my whole hand, um, adding a, like a handle onto one of the uh, onto one of the pieces. And the reason I think it's it's better is because you can hold on to like a very tiny um, piece of food or very mm -hmm. the very edge, and yeah. um, it's a, it really lower the odds of the animal biting the tongs and breaking their teeth. I was also, wondering what exactly uh, you were showing me by um, with those, and I could kind of tell, you know, that they're obviously some sort of clamps. Um, clamp, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they it's good because they you can really lure the animal out like yeah. a, a, a less uh, tame animal out. Yeah, I just uh, I've had to get larger tongs long because my guys know how to hit the hand now. I've, yeah, I have them miss and hit my pinky a lot. OK, well, it looks like yeah. uh, it, it looks like you have a contraption here for that, too. Am I right, Mark, where mm -hmm. you basically. Yeah, a, a four foot one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's on one end, it's got like a brake from a bicycle. Uh huh. Or, I mean, the handle from a bicycle brake, and the other end is, uh, is some tongs. So that's um, more for entertaining them. 
or for when they were young, like I used that to uh, to get them over the to lure them down. Now, um, also my cages are much higher than than most people, and I think that like beginners when they first start out are missing <coughs> the uh, are missing the fact that the animal, especially a tree monitor, needs to look down on you yeah. and oh. feel more <laughs> secure. Yeah, and yeah. so to feel, to feel yeah. comfortable. Yeah, to feel comfortable. Yeah, because I think a lot of people buy one and and they keep it at you know waist level on their counter, and they wonder why it doesn't get tame. And I think that uh, you know if people, especially if, if they're having trouble, they should elevate them. Yeah, it's a that's what I recommend for a lot of beginner enclosures to, is to have a regardless of all the hides you put in your enclosure, nothing is more important than the elevated one. Yeah, and it just gives them a. Even if your cage is only four foot tall, um, that's where they 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 know to go. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if it's four foot tall, you could put it on top of something like a. I I need a stool to reach the top shelf of my of my uh, of my cages. Yeah. Because um, they 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 just it gives them that much more of a feeling of confidence. I've definitely Another, noticed it. Um, Animals that have been in those types of enclosures, especially with an open front, um, open meaning see-through yeah. glass, um, yeah. where they can see you just throughout the day doing your normal activities, those animals do seem to come around a lot quicker than yeah. animals that are lower to the ground or are just in a top opening setup that I that I use for um, certain raise-up cages. Um, yeah. They become a lot more curious in what you're doing. You'll see them out a lot more. Uh, you know, it'll start with just barely an eyeball. Then, you know, the the head will be out and then part of the body. And they'll watch you as you know you're not going to um, basically run after them, try to eat them, mess with them. And mm -hmm. uh, so it is something that I've noticed, especially with the um, – I would say the Indonesian animals that I keep, they seem to like that a lot more as far as coming around and being more sociable or just being out. Uh, after a while, some of the, the Australian stuff, they don't care. But I have noticed a difference in the babies, how quickly they come around in, in all the species so far. But um, the the animals I keep, the dwarf Indonesian monitors, uh, I, I'm trying to put them all at that level where they can see me, they can be a little elevated, and um, mm -hmm. it seems to help them out better, a lot less stress. So I don't just hear an explosion in the cage and <laughs> animals are mm -hmm. running in every direction. So. Yeah. Um, one thing I was thinking about today that I thought I'd mention to you guys is, um, did you ever think about how it is that they're able to, um, like say for example, like I, I take little pieces of fish and I, I hid them all around the room there and I let my guy out to come out and find them. Like he eats a piece of fish and then he goes and he's able to find another piece of fish. Like how is it possible that with his, with fish in his mouth and his tongue coming out of his mouth, that he's able to pick up fish on the other side of the room? <laughs> well, you've been doing this already, right? Yeah, I have been doing that. Yeah, but when yes. you think about it, it's it's weird that they can do that. Like, yeah, it's there. I mean, I think it's a little bit of routine that he's used to, and then, uh, I mean, he probably could definitely just pick up the smell already. Yeah, but it's probably it's a like little bit of both. Yeah, it's like sticking fish up your nose and being able to smell fish. Like, 
True. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true, but I think it's a combination of the way they're able to use their senses, whether it's um, their tongue, yeah. actual taste, uh, and then even the tip of their nose and then their, of course, their nostrils. Um, yeah. You know, you'll, you'll notice a lot of times with a nesting female, she actually uses the tip of her face yeah. to... Um, find out where she's going to lay to somehow pick up on the right temperature, the right humidity. Um, it, that's what it seems. It's now I could be, I could be saying that and, and thinking that cause that's what makes sense to me. But you know, I, I see it more often than not that a gravid female will use the tip of her nose to pick up on something. I think uh, their whole, just, you know, them get up They're the whole get up with snakes and, and uh, monitors with their the forked tongue it's it's like once they pick something up they're honed in on it you know mm -hmm. um and fish fish can be pretty smelly we don't really mm -hmm. we ourselves we're just i think they see smell yeah like yeah. how you know how i'm trying to explain it it's it's yeah. much more it's more of an important uh, sense yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a, a, an important instinct sense to them for, yeah. for us it's not as Sure, we're we're gonna get a whiff of the smell, and it can be nostalgic, or it can be very pleasing, or very foul. But uh, we're not seeing that, you know. We don't. I think they they see smell a little bit better. Yeah, it's hard to it's kind of hard to say that, you know. But um, and Kai yeah. mentioned also routine. Like there's with some of my monitors, there's no longer tongue flicking. There's just rushing the cage door when they see me coming. Yeah, they're expecting food. Um. Yeah. So I, I think a little bit of it could be routine, and then you know they're just going to come across. Okay, usually I've, I've been getting fed over here. I know that there might be something else in the cage, um, yeah. just because they are that smart, you know. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I guess I, uh, I wanted to add another thing while I was thinking about it, well, because we're talking about hides and stuff like that, um, and you know how to set your your enclosure up. Since yours are already tall, right? Um, I would get some the same corrugated drainage tube that you have, but the smaller diameter one that's like this big. Yeah. Right? And um, although your male is pretty streamlined and he can fit in them too, I would get some and cut a bunch of that are only two feet long, something like that, and put them strategically all over your cage, but small enough for only the female to fit in through. Yeah. Um, that way – even if he can get into there, she's already out the other end running away. And it's yeah. it's more of like a, a a hurdle for him rather than being so easily accessible. So, yeah. you know, if uh, that's what I have to do in my current enclosures, like let's say in my big, my big eight foot enclosure for my male, right? Um, I now also have his big trunks for him and for the, pair to breed comfortably secretively right um but at the same time i have a bunch of little tubes that he can't get into that are basically positioned all over the cage just for her um mm -hmm. and so not only do i have that running into a whole another enclosure i have a the same small tube or a small entrance that I've where the partition is right, and it's small enough only for her to fit through, so mm -hmm. he, she can get through the other side. He may have grabbed her in the tail, 
but he couldn't have killed her and maimed her because she got through. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's saving her life now. I, I introduce them all the time, and they fight all the time, and sometimes it's it's a tough one. So. Um, let's say if you were to hit this stage and it was actually pretty nerve wracking and, you know, they, they actually, they actually fought it out or the male pretty much bit the female so much because he actually doesn't know what to do with another girl around, you know, he's, he hasn't, <laughs> bred, he hasn't really bred before. And so we're just going to assume he's an amateur at stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to be able to have something that you're going to have to think more strategically on where you put hides how they run. It can even be a really long one. And then he'd have to go through the whole tube just to get to the other side while she's already gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it can snake around. It can bend a corner and and literally basically cause an interruption to through through his chasing her, right? Yeah. She'll be small enough to have bent the corner and then essentially got out. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, so you're you can just do things like that. I even have tubes that run into bins. He essentially can't go into the bin because um, it's essentially not enough room for him to even get inside of that. So he'll be head in, tail out, and he can't stay in that position for very long at all. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I'll try that in the neutral room there. The yeah, and also wherever you plan to um, put it, wherever you plan to essentially house them together for the whole breeding thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll help you out a lot. And you're essentially creating barriers for, for the female, you know. Um, and let's say your female has an e- exit and entry point that you now just situated near the door. Um, maybe that can be something that you apply. And that's going to be her her in and out route and her safety option when they are in that mutual zone. Let's say you just leave them there together. You know, you're just you're just trying to see how it is. Um, you've applied this now because I think you're you're pretty crafty with what you've been able to do. You know, Absolutely. just essentially make a make a a, a, a three because she's very slender, so she'll fit through maybe a two by two, two space. You know, maybe a mm-hmm. two by three space. <clears throat> think about something that that's that small where he can't get in through that easily. Um, mm-hmm. He's gonna try, and he probably even will because I've seen your mail. He honestly isn't that big, it, that big melanist stage yet. I've seen yeah. some big honkers that are good fighters. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, again, you, like you said, they're they're only uh, a couple years old or a year and a half old. They do have some, some they have some more they have some more growing and mental growing as well. So they're you know they don't don't get it at first. Like I have I have uh, my little Ermius, right? He started off very good with people still very good with people um but i kind of leave him alone to do his breeding thing and i try not to make him like a tame dud right mm-hmm. and so um he was quite aggressive before when i first introduced him to all the girls but now that he kind of has learned what to do he's kind of get gotten a year old he's probably a good year and a half old now he's definitely not two yet not until next april so <clears throat> you know we got some months to go but uh for a year and a half, he's learned quite well how to interact with a lot of females, maybe four different girls that he now can be interchangeable with and basically play musical cages. Whenever one is done, he's into the next one. That's nice to have. Yeah, he's into yeah. the next one. So, 
you know, I mean, your your situation isn't like mine or or Alan's, but you know, it's probably a lot simpler because you don't have to do all that. And you only yeah. Have animals. So yeah. Um, you know, you <clears throat> only worry about that, which is good. You know, it's mm-hmm. you, you get to put a lot more focus onto one animal, which is which is so great. I we wish I to, yeah, there that is a handicap sometimes. So yeah, we um, have to divvy that between a hundred animals. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it I really enjoy nice. the one-on-one. Yeah, it would be nice, and I I do spoil a few, you know, um, or there's a few that I that have spoiled me, so they don't get as much individual attention. I guess uh, they're kind of locked on and ready. Um, <laughs> but with this situation you have, you know, I, I am kind of envious, especially with this Dorianus project, where I wish I could uh, have you know an assistant and. Say okay, you run that stuff, and now let me play with the the new part, you know. And uh, not that I don't like getting in with all of them and figuring things out, but um, I would really soak up that experience right now. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and I wanted to ask: Are you feeding them the same, or do you feed them differently? I feed them the same. Well, I feed the I feed the younger one a little bit heavier. Okay. Um, I I feed very light, um, but very often. So like um, on my, when I'm home on my day off, I'll, I'll feed them maybe 20 times. Okay. Just little, just little, just little, little samples. Right? Yeah. Little fragments. Yeah. Just because to stretch out the, because it's really, it's your best taming tool, your best training tool. Yeah. Um, what, why, why? Yeah. And, and why toss them, you know, if your best training tool is to feed them, to feed them, why are you tossing in one rat twice yeah. a week? No, it's you're 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 kind of right. It's it's uh the same. I mean, even though, it, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, big big person on like you know captive sea mammals in little in little enclosures, but that's how they um play and have the the mindset of these uh, dolphins and whales do all those tricks. Most yeah. of them are quite hungry. And they're very, yeah. very small fractions, and so yeah. what they're doing is, they're they're doing anything for performing. Food. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's it's sad to say, but it's kind of what we're trying to do. We're obviously not treating our monitors like that. We're trying to give them the best life that they can possibly have in captivity. But what he mentioned is one hundred percent right. And I was thinking about this the other day. I noticed some big monitors, like even Rudicolis or Spinelosis. Um, even my own mangroves, they love small food items over yeah. a huge chunk. Like, yeah. okay, a white throat or some big water monitor, fine. A big rat, no problem. But throw a big rat in with something that can handle it, even my four-foot mangroves. Um, they just don't want to eat it. They'll yeah. preen at it. They'll try to pull it apart. They'll rip it up, eat just parts of it. But mm-hmm. they're, they love rather something that they can easily grab grip overpower and swallow very fast hmm. and then yeah. move on to the next one it's um, also but an it, exercise thing too yeah. like you can exercise them by feeding them more often right and, and then what i take into now at my advantage is that i've learned that i don't need to shove five mice in them per feeding or yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. or you know fill them up just to fill them up every day and then they 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 really succumb to that uh, on my yeah. species or the species we're talking about or even almost all monitors that you find in the wild, they're very, very lean compared to what yeah. we have in captivity. 
And yeah. so, you know, um, keeping them lean is very important. Um, now, here's where I use this now even to my breeding advantage, right? <clears throat> when you keep them on that lean tip, right, and they're basically just not fat, don't have a ton of fat reserves, essentially not prepared, right? What you want to do is when the season starts to change, the pressure drops, the rain becomes more, things like that, where they're, they've gone through, the, the weather's changed, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. You added more heat to the enclosure because the actual weather is possibly colder. You, you've done all these changes, right? Yeah. Something like that. Now, um, what I'm using now is the whole time that you've been feeding very, very lean, I'm going to now pound with food. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I'm be very strategic with what I'm feeding. So when you get to this point, Mark, and you are looking into breeding and taking your female to the next level, because obviously feeding her very lean is not going to carry her enough, right? Mm-hmm. What you want to do is feed a bunch of stuff that is fat and that yeah. is kind of heavy um, eggs, mice, chicks with the yolk in them. So it's basically mm-hmm. an egg, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, uh, just uh, whatever you're utilizing, the calcium ratio to the food for them needs to be pretty good. It, it can't just be a light dust, or or you're feeding just pinkies and 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 rat pinkies. You know what I mean? It, or just like fish fillets. You want to feed stuff that is dense in bone. Um, that's to carry the female and the eggs because they'll utilize quite a bit of it. All right. Um, Mm -hmm. in the wild, I think they're eating much more than what we feed them here as far as how beneficial their food for is to them. Um, Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, crabs and things like that, that we may not be able to get readily here. Um, I myself have to source crab and crawfish. Um, but you know, it's easily to go to a market for me here because there's a, a, an abundance of people that eat that here. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, but to think about what you're going to be used, utilizing strategically for food, you want to do something different than just what you've been doing to carry her through the process, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so think about if you've been only feeding, let's say what you can fit in your, in your, I'm sorry. Well, you can fit on a on a tablespoon, right? If that's all mm-hmm. all you've been using is just what fits me, maybe you know, like in a, a golf ball size of food, right? Mm-hmm. You spread that out. You're gonna triple that amount is what you're trying to feed her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of let them up. gorge during that time. Right. On, pull uh, up. Yeah. Just pull up. Mm-hmm. Now this um this savanna that I was talking about that I had um. <laughs> many years ago um it died um and i think that uh it was before any information was really available it was before the internet um and it um it died i think i basically overfed it because the only person who i really who i really um got any information from was just some guy who the guy at the pet store knew and he told me feed her a mouse every day hmm. and um Anyways, yeah, but we know that's yeah, that's, yeah <laughs> that's that's very fattening. Yeah, but I I I, I dissected him after he uh, after he died, 
And I was shocked to see how much fat was actually yeah. inside of them. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. Like, and that's why I'm pretty cautious right now. Yeah, uh, with, with fat. But like you say, I, I know to do it like when I'm breeding, breeding them. But but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, uh, it was it was astonishing how much there actually was. Yeah, I I I do use a lot of. Um, rodents with some of the larger animals especially um but i think a, a big problem that people don't account for is you have to allow that animal to expend that energy or the burn off yeah. those calories so um you know that's larger enclosures that provide more activity than or mm -hmm. um, the ability to be more active to climb to you know, go about the cage searching for things. Um, all of that different type of activity plays into the animal's well-being when you're feeding at that rate. Or the other option is, of course, is to cut back the amount of food you're feeding. Yeah. Um, so it's you're looking at diet almost more like, um, like I guess. Yeah, 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 like like a lot of the new diets, honestly, are are looking for for humans. Just uh, you're taking to, into account um, all the different aspects. You're almost it's almost more of a math problem than it is a you know uh, yeah physical interaction with the monitor and feeding. You're saying, okay, I'm going to feed this these temps. I know is going to keep my animals looking like this, and you get used to what you're seeing, what you expect your animal to look like and you match your feeding to it. So there's times when um, I will feed heavy, but then they're not going to get fed for a little while. Or um, vice, there's, uh, there's all kinds of different tactics that I've used, but this has mainly been with um, the Australian animals. So yeah. now, now that I'm doing uh, quite a few more Indonesian animals, um, I think there's they need also to be fed differently, huh? Right, because yeah. you have your seasons in Australia that are really harsh. So when it's like it's springtime, get out there. It's warming up. Pound food, um, survive, survive, survive. Reproduce. You know, pack on enough to last you because winter's around the corner. Whereas the Indonesian animals might not experience those same extremes, so they can eat throughout the day um they don't have this this harsh winter maybe that's coming now do i know this stuff for sure no have i read books that you know bring up these same points or or listen to um different herpetologists talk about these same things of course um but it it does make sense that there might be a little bit of a difference so just for in our conversation for anybody that's listening you know uh also take this into consideration with whatever animals you're keeping and just because I say, you know, I feed my my sand monitors um, mice daily and there's no issue, that doesn't mean that you can just go feed your um, Indicus or your Dorianus uh, melanus the same way. And they're not all the same. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they do feed, things different. I feed um, mostly um, insects, though. I mostly dubious and mm -hmm. um, super, super worms. Um, I, I don't 
really, I think maybe there's a bit of fat in the uh, dubious. I'm not sure how much, but I'm, I'm, I've heard that the protein is very high in the dubious. There's some good amount of, I think for, for an insect, there's a good amount of fat in the superworms, I believe. Now, I love superworms. Yeah. I love getting animals on superworms because for me, they're an easy go-to to have on hand. They, yeah. they do last quite a while. I like them so much better than crickets. But the problem I have sometimes with some animals is, um, and it sounds like you are now when you're feeding the superworms, are they on tongs or are you dropping them in a dish somewhere? Yeah. I'll just throw it on the floor when they're, you know, when they're not exploring, it'll go racing past them and then they're, they take off after it. Only yeah. a handful of my Indonesian monitors, whether it's uh, tree monitors or, so far, none of the Dorianus have seemed interested in them, and uh, yeah, only, here. yeah, only I think two or three of the um, Timorensis type monitors. Uh, mm-hmm. When they when they love them, they love them. They're turned on to them. They go after them all the time. The other ones just kind of get up on a log and give them that side look yeah, down at them. Yeah. <laughs> I know you got. Better. They're yeah. like, I know you got better stuff right. in there. Stop holding out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, for yeah. for you, uh, Mark, do you happen to have like fish in stock on stock or able to? Well, get I, I feed um, I, I feed them trout. Um, like a like I buy uh, trout and um, just dose it with vitamins, and then um, I give them um, uh, chickens uh, or like chicks mm-hmm. and uh, and young rats. Okay. Um, I, I skin all of them, the the chicks and all of the rats. Um, and um, I, uh, I haven't done uh, any shellfish. I, um, I'd like to give them um, uh, crayfish, but I'm concerned about uh, parasites. You just got to freeze them first. Yeah. 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 Typically, I don't have, a, I don't have an issue at all. It's, it's, it's my carry through for my uh, famine season. Um, yeah. Times when I need to take them down, yeah, it's actually the grasshoppers, the um, the crabs, the crawfish are all and shrimp as well. Um, I also use silver sides and smelt, and that's okay. that's that's all I use as far as shellfish and fish goes. Um, and uh, essentially, they're all whole. Whole, whole prey items that I cut into little pieces for them and mm-hmm. they utilize them that way. Um, yeah, I could just, I freeze everything and keep it on stock. Maybe some of the only things that I keep out are like the, the quail eggs while they're essentially growing in at 80 degrees. Um, and then I use them at their peak point so I can get the full, full consumption out of it rather than, um, you know, only feeding them a, the embryo as it barely started okay yeah, yeah. i feel so like i'm more, way behind <laughs> you think it's more nutritious then when it's more developed yeah of course look at it yeah 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 but it's st- it started out the same though it, it did but it definitely grew in there there's yeah. much more volume weight and yeah yeah so it's just uh mm-hmm. yeah you, you get more um and not and what's very important is the volume of food inside and the shell vol- the ratio yeah. to it is in mm-hmm. it's not essentially equal you know um mm-hmm. rather than you just getting a little little tiny peep a little tiny quail 
and then yeah. putting a little bit of calcium in it, which is not enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, I used to get well, they're called egg oocytes, um, and they're little craters that you see on the eggs. They're sometimes little tiny windows if you shine a light to them. Um, and uh, I used to get those for a good clutch or two when I first started because I was only dusting, you know, the recommended twice a week and, you know, essentially only going by what the typical um, reptile hobby would recommend you use calcium because they were scared of me over calcifying, right? Yeah. Um, but I learned that it wasn't enough. And I actually had to use much more, a lot, a lot more. I was injecting liquid calcium at one point and uh, essentially kind of making my own and pumping the mice full of it while with water. So they're they're getting a lot of calcium, water, and then whatever else into the food. Yeah, I'm actually pretty, uh, pretty meticulous when it comes to the calcium mm -hmm. now because they need so much. Yeah. I'm yeah. not shy with it at all. I basically i'm dusting everything um yeah every day yeah yeah i'm really not shy with that um i've heard some people there some apprehension even some of the guests we've had on here with um well no I, you know i better reiterate the the concern has been with uh the d3 that's added to some of the calcium now i use the calcium with d3 um <clears throat> And there is the fear that some people have of using uh, UVB lights and then dusting with the calcium that has D3 and then basically overdoing it with the, the D3. Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't seen that really. I, I don't know where to look for that information. Um, I don't know if, if Kai, have you, seen anything like that where that's at because i i dust away i haven't seen any issues you know what um mm. i'm listening to my animals yeah i'm listening to the eggs uh, honestly there can be so many reports and you'll scan through and there'll be people that are on on both sides right and kind of to be honest more people that i talk to are on the apprehensive side they're just only dusting a couple times a week and if not just you know I'm dusting and pouring calcium into that cup every every feeding almost, you know. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I, I dust. But I, but I only use I only use D three once a week or or so. Are you? But so I also, you're staggering. Yeah, yeah. I use D three once a week, and then I use like I use I make my own um, little concoction between stuff that I buy, like um, uh, sold for for reptiles, and I also uh, mix in ground eggshells. Like I dry up eggshells and I just pour that on, like lots and lots of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about doing that. That is something that's. Yeah, it's pretty doable. Yeah, you, you, you eat a lot of eggs. Yeah. yeah. You just bake them. You put them in the oven and dry them out, and then throw them in the grinder, and they're great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's something I could try out, just to have fun with, and and you know, see if I like. Keep it on hand. Cuddle. Cuttlefish bone is, I think, is something else I use as well. I just throw whatever in there, really. But mm -hmm. and you see no no issue with the animals as far as digesting using no different no they'll sneeze when they get it in their nose, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. All right. I, I for UV I use the um, the Exoterra Solar Glow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used I to use, use those. 
I've had I've had those in in um when I first started and I I was trying out new UV bulbs. Mm-hmm. Oh, coupled with other bulbs, they work great. But by themselves yeah. to make a hot spot, man, they they are horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just hard to achieve. Yeah, I I I I'm pretty happy with mine. I have like um, uh, a temp gun and I check it, but I also use some um, uh, halogen bulbs, like mm-hmm. uh, fifty watt halogens yeah, in, nice. in combination with this, just to stretch it out and make it a right. little longer. That's that's exactly yeah. what I did too, because it doesn't it doesn't do well by itself, right? Yeah. yeah. I bought a Power Sun um, at one point. I think that's what it's called, Power Sun, and it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it. It's exactly like what you said. It's it's just the the UV to get um, to get the UV they need. They'd have to be cooked. You'd have to cook them yeah. alive. Yeah, it'd it have to be like six just, inches. Yeah, it's like yeah. a laser. Like it's yeah. just so so hot and right and. Uh, um, yeah. Last year, I spent probably a few hundred bucks trying new bulbs. Right. All, all yeah. kinds of stuff, Arcadia stuff. I waited for stuff to be shipped in, and you know, companies were out for a long time. Uh, I went, I went and bought the Mega Rays. Um, so here are the three bulbs that I use, which is the 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 Jungle the Jungle Dawn from Arcadia, which is like a UV fixture, uh, more like a fluorescent type bulb. And then I've added the compact bulb, which is like a 7% or something like that. That's basically the same thing, but in a com- compact bulb. And mm-hmm. then I had the Mega Race. My animals like the UV, but they didn't, they don't, I mean, they respond to them and they do come out, but then they don't like being in the light anymore. It's mm-hmm. like um, they're done with it after they've basked. I noticed they just go to the opposite side of the cage and they just, escape well what yeah. ambient light and how this how strong it is um so they're they think they're avoiding it after done basking yes yeah they're huh. so they're they, like i've i've noticed that they just uh head to the other side and they mm-hmm. are less within the realm of the bulb now when i use like floodlights and my normal typical um part 38s or b30 br30s right I use those typically for my basking bulbs, and sometimes I'll use just those without any UV at all, and they are more inclined to use the whole enclosure. I see them less avoiding the light, um, and so yeah, it's I think uh, enough UV is okay, but it's it's just the monitors. You know, I think a lot of people think that yeah, they like it hot. They must always be out in the sun and basking. It's not true at all. They're actually spending. Right quite a bit of time yeah. in the shade, yeah. in the shade and, and ducking away and basically what it is is they're in the shade and inches from the lamp that's, yeah. that's what they are you know yeah and you know I'll, I'll bring up something here and i'm i've made it no secret how you know i don't use uv in a lot of setups or uvb in a lot of setups i have tried it and i'm still using it in a few but um while I'm running around like a crazy person outside with a UV meter, which happens very often, actually, um, mm-hmm. there is quite a bit of UV in the immediate, like adjacent shade. Um, there's actually still a good amount of UV <laughs> reflecting off of other items, uh, whether it's you know a road surface, um, buildings, trees, what whatnot. 
there is quite a bit of UV still in the shade. And you, so mm -hmm. you will be out of direct sunlight, um, but right next to the um, where the sun's hitting. Yeah. And if you take that meter right there in that transition zone, I guess, even if it's a harsh line, like there's a, obviously here's where the sun's not hitting. Um, there's still a good amount of UV. So like on a, a day where I was reading at maybe a seven in the immediate shade, I'm now at a 1.5 or two somewhere in that range. And so when I see, I, I think about these things when I see the animals as they're in the shade but they're right out of the sunlight, you know, they're, um, they might use the sunlight. They'll be out there basking where it's direct contact or I'm sorry, not contact, but direct radiation. Um, and then they, they achieve their body temperature, but then uh, a lot of these pictures you'll see there's, you know, intermittent sunlight coming through, or, uh, I think there was a picture that Eric, and uh, Owen shared on the NPR um, podcast where they saw a, a large number of uh, Merton's water uh, Merton's monitors, and they were all just outside of the immediate sunlight, you know. But mm -hmm. from what I can tell on those, especially, you know, during the, the hot part of the day, there's a lot of UV um, still it's, it's not going to be these high ranges, but there's still a good amount of UV in that immediate shade there. So I just, just, I guess, throwing that in there, something I find interesting. Kai was saying how he sees his animals avoiding certain things. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, um, I actually try to keep myself up to date with what's going on, watching new videos on UVA, UVB, and how it's being used. Um, there's a lot to say as far as how you... I guess the traditional um, thought was uh, you need a, a fluorescent bulb that's going to span the entire cage, right, for uh, for UV. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more thought to um, actually, no, that's not what you need. You want a gradient. You want to provide them this, but you also want to provide them a, a way out of that where they don't have to always be subject to that. Um, so smaller, you know, you might have a six-foot cage, but go ahead and use the 15-inch, uh, if you will, if, as far as measurements. Use the small fluorescent tube and then put it over here. And then if you're going to put it, um, because UV has to be used with a some sort of basking bulb so that they can achieve a certain body temperature to be able to use that, um, maybe provide a, another basking area where they don't have to be exposed to that as well. Yeah. So uh, just those different thoughts on Mm -hmm. Do you guys uh, have you guys experimented with the new LED UV? I have. I'm waiting, waiting you to. Have? Yeah. yeah, I think it'll be a hit. I'm just, I'm just waiting to drop them the money to buy several bulbs. Yeah. What is the price of them? Uh, they range from. Well, it really depends on the company. So, I think mm -hmm. the one with the uh, Ryan McVeigh. Um, that's a uh, what? I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, VivTech, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the one I, I've heard of. Yes. Yeah. So that's a shout out, shout out to those guys. They're doing a great job traveling everywhere, basically going ham at it um, and still doing everything with their collection too, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they're like 
I think they range from $69 all the way up to $89 or something like that, roughly. Rough okay. Right. Uh, which is, but they last a lot longer, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I'm not sure. It could just could also be how just how much it costs to make those bulbs. You know, that's the price now. So yeah. um, one thing I, I've ran into with the – sorry, Kai. <laughs> no, of course. Um, if you're going to use some of these fixtures that are like the double dome fixtures – and say you have a uh, regular halogen basking light in one, and then you have the LED UVB bulb in the other. Uh, I have had overheating issues with oh, those okay. designs. Now, a lot of times they're in aluminum design that is actually going to help dissipate the heat the way that it's mm -hmm. designed. Um, so just something to take into consideration is when you have that basking bulb next to it, uh, I have had a few um, that have basically overheated. Um, yeah. And there's also, you know, there's some companies out there where their housing looks exactly like the housing that VivTech is using, Ryan's using in his products. Um, but I, through conversations with Ryan where, you know, we've either been messaging or on the phone, he's going to... Um, with now some of his equipment he's using, he's saying, yes, you know, they, they look the same. He has a lot of the, the same bulbs that I've been messing around with too, uh, in conjunction to his, his own products to see where the market's at and to test different things. Um, just because they look the same does not mean they are the same because the housing might be the same, but the diodes that are actually used that are producing the light um, mm -hmm. and the UV, they are not necessarily the same. They could very well be different. Now they might be able to produce UV under a U or a UVB under a UVB meter, but they could also uh, some of those diodes could also be um, providing UVC, which you don't want. And it was yeah um, what happened during one of the conversations where we both had the same bulb, and uh, I had gotten this one before. I think Ryan went live with the company, but he also had the same bulb. And so um, with his new equipment, he was able to, to test this bulb and send me the basically the graph, I won't say graph, a reading of where it was spiking on the UVC. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, don't use that bulb. So um, right. I will say when you're buying from like VivTech, these are bulbs, they, they're testing, they're testing each bulb. So you're getting that assurance. Uh, I would think the last thing you want to do is put a bulb in there that could be harmful to your animal yeah. or, yeah. Um, you know, killing off the, your animal yeah. with that UVC. So, and the, their warranty, their guarantee, you can also message and talk to someone directly. So I want people mm -hmm. to take that in consideration. I know there's other bulbs out there. They might look the same. Um, and you know what? Maybe they're great bulbs, but if you don't know, if you're not testing, if you're not buying the $200 meters to test these different wavelengths, I yeah. would not take the chance. Buy the meter. Buy the meter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have, I have the, uh, I have the one that measures the Ferguson zones. Yes, but I don't have the one that measures the spectrum. So that, or um, simply a, a UVC meter. Also, now they, they're still about the same uh, price range as your like solar meter. Um, okay, but they do measure for UVC, and that can be helpful. So I have one of those. That's all. Down. That's all they measure is just UVC. It's, it's just UVC. So far, I haven't okay. found one that does, as far as the little handheld ones, that's going to measure um, 
UVA, UVB, and UVC and give you the different, right. you know, levels of yeah. what you're getting there. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> let me, I, I'm going to mute this and step away just for a moment, guys. No worries. So, yeah, man, um, now getting back into your, your, um, mellowness with, uh, when do you when do you want to introduce them? <laughs> yeah, I I I guess I I, I like you you convinced me that I could. It's probably a good idea that I should do it sooner than later because I feel they are pretty much ready. I just I'm just yeah. a a natural worrier, so no worries. Very, ca- well, very cautious person. Yeah. yeah, and the, and like I say, you know, breeding is like I. I'm, I want to breed because it's. I feel it's like my responsibility to. Hey to man, not, um, what what it takes is it may not take, like having a ton of animals. It may be the, like what we talked about earlier, where you can focus on just the pair, and um, and you know, really right now all that is just us assuming things may go wrong because we let it linger in the back of our head, right? But yeah, um, it can be magical when they just started to get along all of a sudden they just tongue flip yeah. each other you know there is some huffing and puffing but they settle right in um mm-hmm. you know do something like that where you can essentially once you master that that whole introduction part you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, they they don't have to live together because, like I said, I got lots of space for the two of them, and I and I will switch them soon. Yeah. That's something that I, I plan on doing. Uh, one thing I did was I bought a uh, a um, one hundred gallon uh, cattle trough for uh, for for them for one of them, and uh, one of the when I had the first one, um, but uh, it's weird because he seems to be afraid of it. Like he was to soak in the water when it was just a little dish. Yeah. L- but large now, bodies of water means uh, crocodiles and yeah. Un- yeah. Un- unknown yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, it's, it's amazing how, how he like, it cost me a lot of money too. <laughs> and the pump, the pump, and it was a lot of work and I really, really went all out and it's just like, damn, he won't even go in it. I, I video, like I, I record them with security cameras and and watch the highlights of what they do and um they uh he he never goes in it he just you know he'll walk around the edge and he'll drink and and like he almost never goes in but i sometimes i'll take a doobie on tongs and i'll i'll make him go in the water and, and make him sort of tread water and run in circles do you have anything that runs across it i do yeah yeah i've got um i've got a um I actually put mesh, like a, a strip of like fencing mesh that goes in the water, so he can actually wade out into the onto it and and find it and get to get you know be in shallow water, and he still doesn't do it. So yeah, I'm thinking of of getting rid of the uh, of the of the bin and just filling it up with dirt. <laughs> As it, a, like, it might be more uh, more useful for me. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people just they think all right, mangrove type of monitors, or maybe they even look like they have a laterally comp- laterally compressed tail for swimming, right? And they yeah. are agile swimmers. Don't get me wrong, um, but I, I don't keep them that way actually at all. I have 
pretty small water dishes. Most of them have just cups of water to drink out of. And yeah. they have maybe a little splash kitty litter pan, right? But mm-hmm. And then I change that out every day. But really, my soil is much more ample and more important than than what I consider water. The water, mm-hmm. they just need to drink, right? But yeah. they need moist soil to shed well. Even mm-hmm. even more importantly than water. Because if they just sat in water, you know, they get waterlogged. And, you know, their scales mm-hmm. get messed up and stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah with enough... With just enough balance for me, I have their scales perfect. And for you, it seems like the same thing because yours is quite – your enclosures are very large where everything is spaced out and essentially gets to gets to have a lot of dry areas, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good benefit. Yeah. I can sit and have a coffee and uh, read in there. So it's, it's I just go right in the cage and sit right in there. And it's a great way to get them become, uh, like used to you. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky you got that app option, man. I wish I could sit into most of my enclosures. I have a a male that, even though he's in a eight foot enclosure, I feel like he can utilize a whole room if he needed it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> most of, most of my enclosures are just about six and eight feet. So, but yeah. my monitors are really only three to four feet long max. Yeah. So are the uh, are the are your are your uh, mangrove monitors are they are they smaller than Quince's? Uh, so I have quite a few different types, right? Um, okay. So I have um, Indonesian type, which are very large, and I would say um, along the lines of a, of an adult male Quincy monitor. Even the females get that big. Okay. Most Quincy monitor females barely peak at three. You know, they, they kind of stay in that two to three foot range. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, I have also Varanus coli, which is, they look like a mangrove monitor with just crazy, much more crazier spots. And they, they, the, they keep the ocelli, the large circles, rather than losing them and fragmenting mm-hmm. like most mangrove monitors look. Right. Those guys, I have a male that's, that's uh, three and a half feet, and then most of the girls are all two feet long. Mm-hmm. So pretty, uh, pretty small for the size. Um, and then I have Solomon Island stuff, which are also typically only two feet for girls and three feet for males. Um, they're more of along the lines of like a med- perfect medium monitor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have quite a few different types of Indicus stuff um, and some odds and ends here and there. But yeah. They are they're all in the ballpark of three to four feet. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you have uh, any other reptiles at all, or just is it just monitors? Just monitors. Uh, oh, I actually have a centralian, a centralian python as well that 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 Alan produced. Um, okay. Yeah. So this uh, recent show, it was basically uh, in the box and. It was at our table, and we're basically, you know, trying to sell it, and it was just sitting there calling my name all weekend. And before I had to send them back, I decided I, I wanted to keep a, a snake, just to change of pace, you know, just a little bit, because sometimes the monitors I have so many that it, it can be quite consuming every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Other than the monitors, I have a bunch of mangroves. I have a um, 
Kimberly's as well. And yeah. And a ton of grasshoppers. Yeah. So the grasshoppers are just they're just something you caught in the wild and started to breed or um yes and no. Uh some species I I've purchased um through someone else that's caught them in the wild um or went to a show and purchased them at a show um mm -hmm. and then some stuff we we've caught and started from scratch yeah yeah all, all all of the ones we even purchased were all wild caught as well and then we basically just try to learn the species try to hatch them and go from there yeah yeah they're yeah. a lot different much more like uh what a typical uh monitor will eat in the wild they, they definitely love the chase the yeah. size of the grasshopper is quite large um and so it's like they're it's, it's their favorite thing to eat almost yeah yeah they go nuts for them over over mice and some other food items that i think they would normally typically um chow down without it without a problem yeah yeah i would imagine that uh they'd probably like dragonflies too but yeah yeah i've never caught any i've never bred any of those but i, I would assume they they would or want to chase it yeah <laughs> that'd be pretty tricky to try and breed that yeah but what my guys like the most is they like small crabs and small crawfish they, okay. the way they eat them it's pretty uh yeah it's definitely cool behavior to watch mm-hmm I, I I put uh, goldfish in the in this uh, this uh, cattle trough to try and uh, get them uh, interested in uh, in going in and swimming and chasing them, but that didn't work. He did manage to uh, to eat a couple on the surface, like I would sprinkle the food in, and he he caught two of them. That's but nice. he it wasn't uh, it really wasn't tempting for him to. Uh, to uh, to go after them now. Do you concern yourself with uh, thalamase? Um, yeah, I, I I try not to use too many different types of fish because of that that uh that whole reason. There's uh, yeah. supposed to be in quite a few different types of fish, so I keep it simple. I don't use any other fish other than silver sides. Um, yeah. I don't even I don't use tilapia or or salmon or any of those fillet type cuts um and then it's just crab crawfish and some white shrimp so all of yeah. those would be quite low in the the thiamines. yeah yeah okay. uh, for the people that are wondering what we're talking about um essentially this is a um uh something that fish and seafood and shellfish carry not all of them but some of them carry much more high high contents than others um and that can actually kill your monitor at higher yeah. high rates of those yeah yeah goldfish are supposed to be particularly bad yeah goldfish are pretty bad so that's why i definitely use the the silver size i buy them frozen um and uh yeah that's a some of the best stuff out there. Uh, I actually got that study from people that breed garter snakes, and they had the same issue because basically they were trying to find healthier fish. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was like, all right, I gotta figure out what's what's the best to use. That's 
not too small for my monitors. That's also, you know, not bony or too has too many barbs, right? I try to use, yeah. try to use the stuff that's gonna go so, down easy. So the silver sides are something that you buy at the pet store, or is it? Yeah, uh... I buy at the pet store. It's, okay. They sell them in packs. They also are sold at bait stores sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I looked here. I wasn't able to find them. Yeah, you, you're 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 quite limited on where what you've got available up there, huh? Yeah, yeah. there's not enough uh, you have people to purchase here. it yourself or find a yeah find a very small connection or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's um the brand I heard was uh, was Sally Silversides. Is that yeah, the yeah. one that you? Um, I, I, I think there's a couple that I purchased from, but yeah, that's one of them. It's a yellow and white package. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I buy probably like about three or four packs. Maybe I spread it out with using chicks and mice and um, quail eggs and stuff like that. So it, it lasts a little while. I also have, you know, bags of shrimp and crawfish um, that I have to have to replace soon too. Cause I'm going to run out once the seasons, mm -hmm. Once my so my season for the mangrove monitors has uh, started again just because the weather has really kicked off this year. Last mm -hmm. year we had very poor rain and it was hot all the way until November. This year by now or the last the last month it has been pretty consistently cold or much cooler, and so it's also been raining a lot more or there's a lot more. Um, precipitation in the in the in the in the air and mm -hmm. so the the dense humidity has been playing a role here because where i live now it's uh i live about an hour and a half away from the mojave and so it's uh, kind of deserty valley like and it's pretty dry mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not the desert it's the valley but you know it's really dry out here i'm not too far from the desert though um and essentially where it is typically it's really dry here so when we get rain and um, it's pretty consistent for a good week or so the monitors really really respond to that yeah um, this last winter or sorry this last summer i try to do new things every year not because i and i want to um it's because i want to get better results for my for my um for my monitors so they don't they don't always lay good eggs. So I want a better, you know, see if I can do something better or, you know, this clutch didn't do too well. And so I just want to see if she can always change it up, see well, what I can do to make them lay better. Um, mm -hmm. So this last summer I kept them pretty dry and didn't do a whole lot until maybe, um, I'd say August, September, and then the weather, I started to change and give them more soil. I started to spray them down a little bit more. Um, and what I'm following is the Southern Hemisphere's weather, typically. Now, um, all right, to kind of explain to the people that are listening and maybe wanting, wondering how to set up their melanus or other indonesian species of monitors right you're going to do your research and a lot of people are going to be 
keeping them typical, you know, pretty warm, humid. But there's part of the year where it's essentially less rainy, right? It's their dry season or partly their dry season. It'll still be humid because there's still so much saturation in the soil and everywhere else kind of where even the sun hitting it still is going to create humidity in the region, right? So it'll still be somewhat humid, but the nights will be colder because there will be no clouds or very less clouds. Okay, so I take this time from, I'd say, April until end of summer, which is usually like July, September, right? And I take those months now, and I've been basically keeping it cooler and drier. I have the AC on during the summertime, so it brings the room down to a good 75, 80 degrees sometimes that they're in, especially on the floor. And they lay down there a lot, and so they're getting those temperatures. Um, and so keeping them dry and at that temperature with less food, when it comes time to be producing them, which is now, I have added back the moisture into the enclosure. The moisture in the air, because it's raining outside, um, has been adding to the just the overall abundance in the air, in the house and in the room. And then I've adjusted the heat for some of them. So what happens is, you know, you're trying to fight the weather a little bit because it is cold. I do want, I'm not trying to fight it so much where the room is extremely hot, but I want to keep it from getting, you know, to the 50s and stuff like that, especially drastically. So I have to add a little bit of heat. And you're going to add heat in your house because people don't like it cold so, 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 so often. And so, you know, your overall ambient may be warm rather than letting your house just succumb to the weather and becoming 50 degrees. So your, your natural change or for my own natural change here adjusts to the whole house in the room. And it really plays an effect on now the Southern hemisphere weather is kicking in. It's it would it's if you look at the weather over there, it's raining a lot there. Every day it's raining. When I look at the weather for Solomon Island and Kai Islands, um, those are where most of my animals are from, and I'm trying to copy the weather a little bit. It's not raining a ton, but I do spray it down a bit more. It's more humid rather than what it was five months ago when mm -hmm. when it was you know summertime. So it's quite different. And I do that on purpose, um, and I'm just trying to get something a little bit better. Me matching with the Southern Hemisphere is quite hard because you have to fight summertime. And summertime here is 100 degrees, so so me having the AC on pretty high just to keep the house cool can be quite expensive, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I used to be able to just also produce them when it's off-season, when it's totally different and it's the northern hemisphere, which would be like n your northern colubrids, you know, they'll typically cool down in October, November, maybe December, January, you can warm them back up. And that's typically the northern hemisphere cool down. That's what a lot of people are used to. And that's what I'm used to as well, because I used to do uh, tortoises and stuff like that, where they'd have to hibernate. And, I'm, and I used to do corn snakes and bull snakes a little bit. And so I'm typically used to 
cooling those animals down and getting them to breed, right? That's how you breed a lot of snakes. That's how you breed a lot of pythons, things like that. Um, you can apply that to this as well. It it um, it may not work just because some animals hook up a lot better on how they naturally would do it. Um, mm-hmm. so I have to think, even if I want to do it the northern hemisphere way, which is be cooling them down for winter time, and then during springtime when it is warmer, I'll have to spray. But it also is drier. It's dry here as well. It's also dry here now, but the, with the rain, it 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 changes that up a bit. You know, I have the, the rain working in my favor during this time of the year. Do people do many people succeed in breeding Milanus no. monitors? Not at all. No. There's a handful of breeders. It's the whole complex that is um, very scarce in itself. Yeah. There's no Dorianus breeders. Um, I don't think anybody's breeding tricolors. Peach throats, uh, if there are, they're not speaking up or they're not out there on in public, you know. And yeah. Just, so we don't, it's not that we can't count them. It's just there's nothing to count because we're not there, you know. So. Um, yeah, just something to think about where I myself in the United States, there are maybe a couple of us and that's it. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in Canada, there is, do you know who Cody Joe is? Is that the guy who, who has, um, he has a Canadian cold. Canadian yeah. cold-blooded, right? So, That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's in Alberta, I think. Yeah, he uh, he breeds Varanus indicus as well, but he also has quite a few of the other complex trying to breed those as well. But mm-hmm. he's ha- he has had success with mangrove monitors, um, the same kind that I just hatched out. I've had I've actually hatched this out quite a few times, but yeah. um, and then there is like a Kenneth Jensen in Denmark. He's sitting on a clutch now. And then there's Charlie um, in Australia who breeds blue mangrove monitors in Australia. And that's that's less than a handful of people that I that I can that I can technically name that's that breeds that complex on the regular. There's uh, a couple people like uh, Brian, I think Daruka or Deluca or something like that. He's oh, yeah. bred. He's bred uh, Melanus, and um, there is uh, Anthony Sains that's hatched them out a couple times, mm-hmm. um, and then a couple zoos that have um, successfully worked with them. Don't get me wrong; there may be a couple other people, but I just don't know them, or I don't know of them. So, make yourself known. Sorry, guys, I stepped away, but I'm I'm back. Now. <laughs> hey, you're back, and you can close it out. <laughs> I we're at, yeah, I'm looking at the time on there. So uh, yeah, sorry. Hey, no worries, man. I just wanted to to ask Mark. Uh, you know, it's getting close to the two hour mark. I just wanted to to ask if you had any more questions that we can help you with. Uh, no, I think that's pretty much covers it for now. Like, yeah, I, we could um, do, always do a part two, and yeah, obviously, when we get to the nitty gritty stuff. You know, uh, the episodes may not always just be about like, all right, I, I bred them or I'm breeding them, but it's the process because yeah. that's yeah. what a lot of people are getting. And the mistakes, too. Yeah. yeah, the mistakes gotta, are very important. You share your mistakes so people 
know what to do and what not to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's what this I appreciate is all what about. You, yeah, I appreciate what you guys do. There's not many people who would um, help out the competition, which is what you guys seem <laughs> to do. Because <laughs> you guys teach teaching everybody how to do what you do hopefully some of us can get it right and have some success yeah. with uh this yeah. species or that species and you know for yeah. me I, I would love to to know that um the up-and-coming keepers the the people that are getting into it looking at monitors now that some of these animals we're talking about some that aren't accessible now will be mm -hmm. because of the work that's being done and, yeah. um, you know, any, any kid that was in our position at one point in time can take that piece of, uh, Australia or Indonesia that they're fascinated with and use it as a base for the rest of their life, really to, you know, um, find that an animal that they're interested in, uh, their Holy grail and work with it. And then, you know, start in, in that direction and use that as a stepping stone for whatever they're doing or or wherever they're going with uh, keeping reptiles. Or for that yeah. matter, just, um, I guess, a lot of times when we're we're reptile people, we turn out being, you know, just animal-loving people, um, bird people. We love seeing where they come from. We love the, the habitat, the, the seasons that they experience, the type of terrain and biodiversity that they, they come from. And it just, you know... Um, yeah. So if if this can be somehow a part of that, that would just make my day, you know, just yeah, a loser. Well, you never, <laughs> yeah, you never know in a you know fifty years or whatever, people might be that might be a common thing. Like you mm -hmm. may be laying the groundwork for something that could be quite common, and there could be a substantial, yeah, you know. Uh, for me, um, I uh, I got tired of turning a blind eye at watching female monitors die. Yeah, yeah. it's a big one. Because you know, there's the secret ways, and they're not as secret anymore. Now it's just having a good enough enclosure, basically something that is um, sustainable for the female. You know, before the the nest bins and having ample amount of soil for them to utilize wasn't really practiced before. Um, it yeah. was just the the surface of the soil and above. It wasn't the surface of the soil and below. Um, now we try to implement that so that way people understand um, just the, how important it is for your female monitors, you know, to be able to go through that whole process. And now, you know, like for, for me, it's even though I'm one of a handful of people, the Indicus stuff is doing breakthrough stuff for monitors right now. Um, it is the harder types to breed. We're trying to understand just what flows with things as far as the difficult species to breed um mm -hmm. the, the easier stuff or the stuff that seems to hook on quite well you know like a lot of the australian species things like that they seem to be bred quite easy the water monitors seem to go a lot simpler but there are the ones that you know are imported cheap or imported all the time but you never see captive bred yeah but, you know there's right. got to be a there's got to be a reason why. And, you know, we want to save some of the ones that are coming here that are sort of here for their imminent death. But, you know, we want to kind of make it it's where there's a lot more success. And then even though they may start off in fractions and small numbers, 
it'll grow it'll grow more mm -hmm. maybe some people will click it'll click for them i am doing stuff that is not practiced by a lot of monitor keepers even ones that have been keeping the same species for quite a long time i do mm -hmm. things that i send them through the cold and i don't feed them for a long time or you know i just do things like i dust every day um you know that i'm doing things totally different and it's hooking up for me um and hopefully you'll be able to think the same way i don't want you to just do some research on google and kind of be done with it you know it's like these animals are going to teach you so much even though you've done that research don't get me wrong do the research but you're going to weave out so much stuff it's not going to apply yeah it's good got experiment too yeah it's good knowledge it's just not the gospel type of thing and you do what yeah what you see you react to your animals um don't don't i guess book knowledge your animal to death you know yeah. uh get hands on make those adjustments and when you see improvement document that or make a mental note and understand yeah. why and uh, hopefully in the coming future the indicus complex will be along the lines of you know the other monitors that are now being more commonly bred and the information yeah. will get refined and um kai's doing a lot of work and you know a lot of people are paying attention absolutely right but just like the the other animals i think it, it's going to be even more so the people that come along now that pick up yeah. or that are working with and because kai is one person in one part of the world and so when all this different information for these the same type of um, monitor species can be brought together, you know, and then people trying their own mixture of stuff. And the more information that can be shared, the better. Yeah. And we'll unlock some of these uh, these key details. So. Yeah, like we're waiting for people to breed Jumeril's monitors, Rudic Black Roughnecks, um, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, you know, Peach Throat monitors. These are all really adored species that just, it's hard. They're so hard to hit. Um, so hard to get, yeah, get to get that real, to get that nail in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So but, hopefully people can take some, to have some takeaways from some of these podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, Mark, thank you for being on. We're hitting that two hour mark. So, um, Go ahead and close it out unless there's any last things, Kai. Go ahead. Is there anything? No, that should be it. We appreciate you for coming on and sharing okay. your experience and, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, getting getting right down to it, you know. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Great. All Thanks, right. guys. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention the, the, of course, we're brought to you by the MPR Network, the Morelli Python Radio Network. Uh, you can go onto their website, MoreliPythonRadio.com, to find our podcast along with a number of others. Great information out there. A lot of great hosts talking about a variety of different things through the reptile community um, on different topics from not only keeping in captivity to field work, field herping, just good stories um and the culture of reptile keeping so go ahead go on their website check out their store check out their patreon if you'd like to be a supporter so that more information can be brought to you uh eric's a hard-working guy to do what he does so uh if you can support him that would be great and of course uh i didn't think i'm i think i might have missed it in the last one but us arc uh if you can support them 
they are fighting for our basically your rights to and our ability to keep reptiles. So if you're new to reptiles, uh, please check them out. Even a small donation, if you can, can greatly help because uh, there's always a legal battle going on somewhere. So thank you guys for listening. We hope to be on here and uh, talk about some more reptiles very soon. All right, you guys. Have a good one.